The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Sounds of the Anteater Kingdom on 88.9 FM KUCI in Irvine. Hi there, I'm Shane Burke. You're listening to Tech Talk here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Joining me today is my guest Kumar, Ravind Kumar from the New University. You probably remember him. What's up, guys? Um, so Kumar, today we are going to talk about a couple of uh, very interesting topics. The first thing we're going to talk about is the, um, it's been called the bikini graph, I believe, in the, in the media. <laughs> Um, this is the day, May 6, 2010, when the stock market plunged um, 1,000 points in half an hour. And uh, basically, it, it's raised a couple of issues as far as um, uh, computers in, in, um, in being used in financial markets. And it's called high-frequency trading. So can you kind of explain what high-frequency trading is? Well... Basically, it's it, you have to first of all remember what it was like with low frequency trading. Uh, trading first of all started with people just being on the floor. You have buyers, you have the stockbrokers, and they go back and forth, usually on paper. It wasn't until recent decades that it was allowed to do electronic trading. You know, now you go through a computer instead of talking directly to brokers or what have you. Uh, and the thing with computers is they go faster than humans do. So now you've got trades going much faster. We're talking a couple seconds instead of a couple minutes. Uh, with high-frequency trading, we're now moving past the seconds. We're moving into the millisecond portion of things. So we're talking within one second, millions upon millions of trades being you know, set up, canceled, bought, sold, all at fractions of a second, uh, much faster than any human would be able to perform. Um, so yeah, this is becoming big among big investment firms who can afford the uh, hardware to run these, not just the uh, algorithms that, you know, run out and do all the high-frequency trading, but, you know, these algorithms can often, they're like fail-safes in some cases where it's like, you know, do this at 5%, do this at 10%, what have you. So we're talking these incredibly complex algorithms, computer algorithms on incredibly powerful computer hardware that's basically policing the market for the best sales. So now you kind of mentioned the, this whole thing with the the computers being really fast and the humans slower to react. Is it responsible to even have our financial markets being um, involved with such fast mechanisms? Now, after this whole thing, we're people. I think people are beginning to realize that no, um, when you start letting it be run electronically at the moment, uh, the problem is is not everyone can afford this equipment. So the scenario is you have a group of uh, buyers who want to buy something. And they look into it and they're getting ready to purchase it. As they're about to purchase, all of a sudden the price jumps up a little bit. Now they don't know why, but they still grab it because it's about where they're willing to pay for it. What they don't realize happened in that little space of time is somebody with one of these high-frequency these, these machines went in there and in a couple of milliseconds kept hitting their machine to see how high they could push it before their offer was rejected mm -hmm. and then hit them at that highest offer. So this, this, this high-frequency trading, um, yeah, it's absolutely unfair because if you look at that scenario, 
what happened to those buyers is instead of buying at, let, at let's say, $25 a share, in those few seconds, this company hit them until they were at $27 a share, let's say, $27 a share, and then sold them the shares at 27 So now they're losing two bucks on every share, and they didn't even know it. It happened in less than a second. Yeah. So now, kind of along those lines, um, I sent you a link to a New York Times story, and we'll, we'll stick that up on the web too. And in it, they talked to this guy named Dermot Clancy, who um, is a New York Stock Exchange stockbroker, and he was kind of angry about this whole uh, whole glitch because people lost and made money on a glitch, yeah. and it, it wasn't based on finan- financials or anything. It was just because the computers messed up, and so people got Procter & Gamble at a really good price, but also people lost Procter & Gamble um, and, and you, sold it at yeah. a low price for no reason. Yeah, there was um, other stories of, uh, I, I think there were certain stocks that were traded, like they went from like 60, like T- TD Ameritrade went from 60 bucks to 11 cents. Uh, another stock plummeted down to one cent. I mean, it was incredible, because the thing with these algorithms is they're set up so that if one thing happens, like let's say the market share on the Dow drops 5%, it makes a certain amount of trades in order to equalize. Well, it dropped so much that it set off a whole bunch of these fail-safes. And each of these fail-safes set off another series of fail-safes. And each, so the entire market, it, you know, it's kind of like the uh, butterfly effect. You know, normally one small change here makes a big change later. Well, it was a really big change. Mm-hmm. And then there was a bunch of other really big changes. So the market took, it, it, it was like a sucker punch. It was basically a, a positive feedback loop. Yeah. If, if you're kind of talking in terms of biology, um, where basically one set of algorithms were, were setting off each other, and, yeah. and it just kind of kept going, and eventually it came to a stop, thank goodness. Yeah, well, I think at some point someone realized, wait a minute, this can't be what's, something's just not right here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thank God there is some human uh, redundancy in this chain. Can you imagine if it was nothing but computerized? Uh, by the end of the day, they could have very well uh, crashed the market just because of these, this, this manner of trading. So, um, with that said, I think it kind of begs the question, is this bad for the free market? Is it? I think it is. I think it's terrible because, you know, one, not everyone can afford these. Yeah. And there's a habit, there, there's loophole. They're running through a loophole which allows them to receive the pricing data before other people's do. Yeah, that's, a, that's called the term flash trading. Yeah. Where they get um, financial information and, and data about the, the price of a stock. Uh, before it's released to the general public. Yeah. And those algorithms can theoretically make a decision and trade on that before anyone else can. Yeah, th- this is where that scenario comes in. Like, let's say, and this the one that I picked up on is, uh, well, actually, a, a really interesting, this is how uh, one firm figured it out, a TFS firm, it's a capital firm. Uh, what they did is they went to one of these pools and they said, hey, you know, we want to buy this stock and we want to buy it at this price. Then they went to the main pool and they sold the stock for two cents less, and immediately they were sold the price at uh, the higher price. So the broker, who knew they wanted to buy it at the high price, knew before they posted to the public domain the lower price where the better deal was. Very, very interesting. So um, yeah, it's terrible, in my opinion, for the free market. Why? Because in essence, you're setting up two tiers. 
you have the people who can afford the higher, you know, the high market, and then you got the people who's got to call it in or go through the normal computer. You're setting up a hierarchy of our stock markets, mm-hmm. which is incredibly frightening because so much of our financial stability revolves around the stability of our financial markets. Yeah. If our markets start to become tiered, you know, you've got the high-tier traders and the middle-tier traders and then the low-tier traders. You, you can kind of imagine people are start going to start getting just screwed over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then people might pull out of the market. Yeah. Either people pull out of the market because they're just not making any money, or these corporations push them out of the market so that they hold the monopolies for it. Yeah. And, and at that point, it's not a free market when not everyone's on the same playing field. So the problem with this is it's just it, it completely unevens the playing field. And as we saw, it, it's a flawed system. Yeah. It's a flawed system that's built on loopholes that, when it failed, nearly took down the market. Yeah, and, and I mean, you've also got this new situation, this kind of, now that we're in the 21st century, where you've got 24-hour news and channels dedicated just to the stock market and financial news. Um, so it also kind of makes you wonder whether it can just propagate itself with people selling because of fear they think something's going on and they don't even know what the cause is but they just want to sell and those people are making a rational decision at that point it's not just a a computer-based thing yeah well what'll happen is like you see your stocks you see the dow crashing and you look at your portfolio and you say no this is i gotta i gotta save my uh, stuff while it still has some value yeah and you throw it out there and then a couple hours later the prices are back to normal and you just lost you know god knows how much of your portfolio because of a glitch yeah and you know you can't get it back there's no one you can really sue for this there's no one you can go after and say hey you know this this wasn't right this wasn't right i didn't mean to sell these it's gone yeah the mistake's been made those people who picked up the Procter and Gamble, Gamble for 36 bucks, it's theirs now. They just made the best investment of their lives. And the people who sold it are out God knows how many thousands of dollars Yeah, because of a glitch. Yeah. Um, so it also kind of brings up this thing about the circuit breakers. And I, I couldn't even really follow what they were saying in the New York Times article about this. But um, basically the circuit breakers only work. It's very, they've got very weird intervals. Mm-hmm. But I, they basically only check and shut off at on the hour. Yeah. I believe. So what it is is before 2 o'clock, before the exchange closes, a 10% drop in, let's say, the Dow will stop trading for one hour. A 5% drop will only stop it for half an hour. A ten, you know, d- different drops drop change from different times. Mm-hmm. After 2 p.m., uh, that pause shrinks, and then after 2.30, there's no one cares anymore. Um and basically the problem with this is what if these circuit breakers don't kick in? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened this time. The it, it didn't kick in in time. Or by the time it kicked in because of this flash trading, this this uh, high-frequency trading, the Every damage time. was done. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if that circuit breaker takes a second to kick in, and in that second 10 million trades are initiated, those fail-safes kick in, what's the point? Yeah. You've already screwed up. I mean, th- in that one second, the damage has been done. So you have to kind of imagine, if you if you look at this on like an electronic scale, you've got a really big power supply going through a really small circuit breaker. Yeah. And even if that circuit breaker goes off, you're still going to see damage on the other side. Yeah, so it's kind of along the lines of what we were talking about earlier with humans and computers, and the computers being a lot, lot faster than humans can vet the information. The same thing is true with the circuit breakers. They're on like a half hour temporal resolution so everything's kind of on different time scales 
and um, it makes you wonder whether people are actually going to make the decision to actually kind of make everything so it's on the same time scale so that you know maybe the computers are slowed down so they're only as fast as humans can process them although that does slow down the markets and then on the other hand maybe make these circuit breakers faster so they're actually responding to the stock price yeah. so if you have a thousand point drop you just cut it off there you know yeah. i'd rather see them switch it you know i'd rather see those circuit breakers running on a high frequency system exactly yeah so that those circuit breakers are looking at 10 million trades a second and saying something's going on right there we need to stop trading and see what's going on yeah you know there's been a uh, 50 percent drop in this particular and this like index mm -hmm. it's dropped by 50 or 10 15 percent stop it for about half an hour let's figure out what's going on is this legitimate it is kick it back in yeah and there there's um a couple different theories as to what actually happened so there's the fat finger theory which is where someone just typed in too many zeros yeah. basically and then uh there's this thing called bland excuse me bandwidth blockages where um basically something was clocking up all the bandwidth um, in the in the exchange and then people started uh, canceling their orders and then that's how the drop happened. That's another theory. I think that the fat finger theory is a little bit more popular because there's this evidence that the trade, um, a very large trade initiated in Chicago. Um, that's basically all we know. We don't know who did it. Yeah. One of the other ones I saw also, and this is this just made me fun, this made me laugh a little bit. Uh, this is off of a PC World article on the same thing. Uh, trader attempted to short sell 16 million shares of S&P 500 and entered a B for billion instead of an M for million. <laughs> you, you'd think they'd have some form of error checking at yeah, this point, right? Exactly. It, it makes you wonder, do they even have that? I don't do they have a little box that says, are you sure you want to do this? The problem with that are you sure box is... It, it slows to, things down. It slows things down. What are these people thinking? Oh, you know, I need to make the profit. Y you'd think after losing potentially millions upon millions of dollars they'd say oh well maybe what we're doing you know you can you can you can expand this idea to pretty much every aspect of corporate profiteering mm -hmm. um is your are your shortcuts going to be worth the potential damage later bp oil spill or are the shortcuts worth the potential damage that was incurred later of course not but at the time what are they thinking short term we, yeah short term yeah. short term short term and what and, that, and that's just economics that's just yeah. human nature uh, you know, you want to <laughs> make the money now. Exactly, yeah. But the problem, especially in stuff like this, and I, I, I think, I'm hoping that the uh, the citizen really figures this out, is it's not usually the companies that suffer the most. It's the citizens that suffer the most because they're the ones who get the most amount of residual damage. Yeah. Because in this case, you know, Procter & Gamble will probably make up for what was lost, but those guys who lost their shares are screwed. Yeah. Uh, those companies that drop to one cent... <laughs> you know, yeah. like we're talking thousand percent drops. They're the ones who suffer. They're the small guys. They're mm -hmm. not the big guys. And e BP oil spill. BP will recover. That yeah. shoreline and those fishermen never will. It's in this case the problem I see personally, and I, I, I think a lot of other people share this issue, is that this whole sh this whole idea of you know let's not worry about the safeguards. Let's just kind of do it out there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt the big companies, and they know it won't hurt them. They know that they'll be able to handle it. It's only the small guys who are going to get hurt, and at some point we need to do something about that. Yeah. Um, so it also kind of just kind of to play devil's advocate, I guess, because um, we've kind of been a little negative on all this. It also kind of makes you wonder whether this has happened before 
or why it hasn't. If this is such a big problem, how come we haven't seen uh, such a big drop? And I can't, I can't really think of an answer to that Not question. I, either it was very well, uh, either it was very small. Maybe, maybe there's a lot of these microtransactions that aren't noticed. Yeah, so there could have been, this problem could have happened just on a small scale. That's my thought. 16 million shares of S&P 500 stock, assuming this one quote is right, or wh- however much it is. If you're going to kill a 1,000 points of the Dow, that must be pretty big. But on the other hand, I'm sure there must be lots of micro-fluctuations that these high-speed guys can probably see. But the rest of us, by the time we see it, it's happened and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, my my assumption is the only reason it hasn't happened is because this high-speed trading thing is a recent uh, monster. It It's only been around for... I'm not really sure how long it's been... Um, I mean, the, the, one of the articles I saw is from 2009 talking about uh, uh, stock trading, uh, speed, the speed trading uh, yeah. from the New York Times, the yeah. 2009 article. So it's not that old. Yeah. So it's a, pr- it's a pretty new thing. So maybe that, that's also a part of it. My, yeah. My assumption is as it became more, became more prevalent and mm-hmm. more people used it, it broke. Yeah. Because you, know, you can't test these kind of things, and I doubt they do beta testing. You know, like, let, let, this is a new idea on a very important system. Let's make sure it works. They probably just tried it. Yeah. Okay, well, I believe that is going to end our discussion of high-frequency trading. It was a very interesting one. We're going to take a break and play some music, and then we'll be back after that with um, a discussion of Facebook's privacy policies. We've already talked about this a little bit, you and I, together before. <clears throat> But we're going to talk about it in relation to uh, data mining and a uh, paper that was made by a, written by a couple MIT students um, with some very interesting figures and statistics. So we'll be discussing that next. All right, and we're back. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Shane Burke. You're listening to Tech Talk. Um, joining me is Kumar from the New University. Um, today we're going to be right now we're going to be talking about uh, Facebook privacy policies and um, whether people read them and whether they actually know what they're getting into. Um, So just to kind of give you some figures, some statistics, um, this is from a paper called Facebook Threats to Privacy by Harvey Jones and Jose Soltran. Um, They're uh, from from MIT, I'm sorry. 389 respondents responded that 91% had not read the terms of service and 89% had never read the, the privacy policy. So those are some pretty uh, crazy numbers there. Um, the, the most interesting ones, I think, are that um, uh, whether they actually understood the privacy policy, um, whether they could actually um, send share information with third parties, because it seems like people just kind of guessed. And um, it really correlates very well with the second set of numbers, whether they, are, they actually read the terms of service and privacy policy. It seems like those who actually did knew um, that that was possible. And then the other ones just kind of guessed, and the numbers really work out quite well, which is interesting and kind of funny. Um, So uh, kind of to bring you in, Kumar, uh, this is a very interesting phenomenon where people just are kind of getting involved in in a website and they don't read them. I've got to be honest, I don't. I don't know if you do, but um, what are the reasons for that? I, I think it's desensitized. We're just absolutely desensitized to it. Because, well, I mean, with Facebook, their privacy policy was buried in there in the first place. And as I recall, their original privacy policy was, like, what, 
pages upon pages upon pages upon pages upon you know, how many pages there were. Was was the Facebook privacy policy the one that was like longer than the Constitution? I remember that figure. Uh, maybe that may be it. I don't remember, but it, that's how crazy this privacy stuff. Because there's a lot of legalese, mm-hmm. legalese language in there. Yeah, you just can't understand that. But I mean, it's any time you've installed software on your computer. I do you agree? You know, press agree to continue in the installation. This is the software agreement. What do people do? You scroll down real quick and press next and continue on. You can't yeah. be damned to read through the whole thing. Yeah. So I think we're one, we're desensitized to it, and and two. I don't think it means anything to us. Uh, the software agreement uh, for us, it, I, I, you don't feel like clicking a button. Really, me, it's not the same as signing a document. You're just clicking a button. Um, or with Facebook, it, you're just saying yes, I agree. And I don't think that has the same connotation. Like if you actually had to read through the whole thing and type out some keywords in the middle of that, I bet you people would read it a little more carefully. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's just there. Yeah, and you don't really have to read through any of it. So you can put anything you want in these privacy policies, and most people won't know until there's a controversy, and that's what happened with Facebook. Yeah. Um, so kind of along that, like what you were saying, though, that also raises some questions, too, whether you're actually going to have people answer questions because, you know, people could be um, kind of, I don't want to say not smart, but um, people with... Uh, maybe some sort of mental disability um, wouldn't be able to answer those questions. If they have low critical thinking or, or low verbal reasoning abilities, um, and I guess it also depends on, on language, you're potentially excluding people from your service. And that could possibly run into problems with disability um, legislation and all that on the Internet. Um, so it's definitely very interesting because, I mean, I know I don't read them, and... Uh, you're right. It, it's very, very small. I'm, I'm looking at the Facebook page now. It's at the very bottom, and it's smaller than it looks like even the text that people write, you know, on their on their pages, on their profiles. And it's at the very bottom, and it just says privacy. And I don't even see a terms of service. Oh, I see. Oh, it says terms. That's all. Okay. So I guess it's on here. But, again, you bring up another thing. You almost kind of need a law degree to understand it. Yeah. Um, like, I'm looking through right now. I'm looking at time.com's uh, privacy policy. And theirs is pretty straightforward. In fact, it's much more like how Facebook's is now. But if you go to other privacy policies, for instance, any Mac user out there should really look into their uh, software agreements, their EULAs. They are entertaining. It's, it's, same with the EULAs. Oh, EULA, uh, the End User uh, Licensing Agreement. Okay. It, it's, it's basically a contract you sign with most software you buy that says, I agree to abide by these rules and the usage of my software so that I can use them. Mm-hmm. Um, almost every piece of software you'll ever use has a EULA. It's that little box where you have to scroll all the way down and press I agree and then go on from there. Yeah, when you install your yeah, software. when you install your software. Uh, for those of you who are Mac users, Apple users, read yours. <laughs> it gets very entertaining towards, I think, like Section 8. It starts talking about you shall not use this. Uh, number one, if you live in a country that's been blocked by, like, the Department of uh, Justice, then uh, no Apple products for you. Uh, <laughs> if you're planning on building a nuke, you're not allowed to use iTunes uh, or biological or weapons biological too, weapons said. no no you know no uh, iTunes you're not allowed to use Photoshop if you happen to be uh, building by a lot it, it's stupid yeah. really most EULAs are and the problem with them and privacy policies and all of these things is it gives these uh, developers it gives the developers an almost 
a frightening amount of control over a user without the user ever knowing it. And there's been some case law into this. Um, the only time that the EULA so far uh, is, can be disregarded is in the event that it's literally not clear to the user what they're agreeing to. So I think, uh, I, I think what it is is if you have to install the software and then see the EULA, it's illegal. Because mm -hmm. it, it, you didn't know what you were uh, agreeing to when you installed it. Mm -hmm. As long as that EULA become, comes before the installation, they can put anything they want in there. And usually it'll make you, you'll, you'll be uh, at odds with whatever's there unless it infringes on some constitutional right. So like with this privacy policy, um, the Facebook privacy policy, uh, the way they've set it up is if you look at what they're saying, they're using intentionally vague language. And they do this for a reason. Uh, the vaguer the language, the less specific it gets, the less that you can complain about. Uh, for instance, if you scroll down this Facebook, if you go to face, www.facebook.com slash policy.php, this is the whole privacy policy, scroll down to section 6 and then uh, look at the part about making payments. Uh, payments are very, very private. You don't want people to know what you're buying, really. You especially don't want them to know how much you're paying for, where it's all these payments can be very dangerous with ID theft. Mm -hmm. uh, what do they say? We will require good language, third parties to agree to respect the privacy of your information. They don't say what that means. What does respect mean? What are the third parties actually going to do to make sure that your secure information stays secure? Yeah, it's very, very not specific at all. And it almost makes you wonder whether they even have... Um, uh, policies in place with the um, people that they're actually working with, with, the, with third-party companies. You know, do they even have a set of guidelines of things that you can and cannot do with Facebook information? That's you know, who knows? Yeah, when it comes to stuff like data, data is like gold on the Internet. Advertisers love data. People are always buying and selling data. Why? Y you'll notice this on Facebook. Check a look at the advertisements that are to the right of your Facebook page. More often than not, you'll notice they have something to do with you. Why? Because Facebook looks at your interests. They look at what things you've linked to, what things you click on, and it gives that data to third-party sources so they can direct advertising at you. Now, what are they giving to those advertisers? Facebook says, you know, if you look at how they share their information, they're saying, you know, we're only letting certain the ones that you consent to, the only one, the ones that you allow. What if you don't didn't realize you were consenting to something? Uh, one of the things I, one of the popular scams I see on Facebook is this link to a page. You know, if you like this page, this is something really funny. So click this link, and then you'll see something really funny. And you go there, and it's a bunch of random crap, and you end up getting a bunch of like ID. You end up getting a bunch of like random. You know, like you're on a site and all of a sudden there's a bunch of information there. Uh, oh, this is the funniest video ever. You have to click on this link to see it. And then you <laughs> like this page and all of a sudden this, who knows, has your information now. Yeah, yeah. What is consent? It's not very clear. So once again, vague. Uh, and they're doing this on purpose. It, it gives their advertisers, these third-party applications, as much leeway as they can get in order to get as much information out of you without you realizing what you're giving them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of along uh, what you were, ta you were talking about, data mining, basically. We talked about algorithms last week. Um, so basically, uh, Facebook can sell people's information. 
based on based on what they say in here um they can you know what what form they actually sell it in whether they're actually doing that data a transformation on their own or whether they're selling it to third parties and they're doing the data transformation and then selling it to marketers and stuff uh, who knows but on the other hand um, all of these algorithms and things make someone's using user experience more make it better yeah they make it so they don't have to sift through a bunch of junk that's how Google works um, it, uh, you could imagine going to a website that like if we all of a sudden said no algorithms and and all this stuff on user information and everything's got to be private like we do with with health information to that degree then um there's going to be a major problem with usability on the website on the web and you might not be able to find what you want as easily because you're going to have to look through a bunch of stuff that doesn't relate to you at all yeah well it's one of those things with facebook's it is social networking and we have to remember that key term networking it, so there are Facebook algorithms built in there to try to make sure that you get as much of the people you know as possible. Well, yeah, that's how friending works, actually. Yeah, like if, if you've ever noticed this, the Facebook can figure out stuff like who you know. And yeah. It's kind of creepy. Yeah. But like every once in a while, look off to the side of your thing, and you'll see random stuff like, oh, you know, this is the person I know. I wonder how Facebook knew that. Oh, we have mutual friends. We go to the same school. So in that case, yeah, it can make to be an incredibly awesome user experience and then you have the converse um uh what happens when that information goes a bit too far this is the problem with you know yelp and all these uh, pandora and yelp getting your information through that instant personalization, instant personalization program that we talked about which was automatically ago. selected yeah this yeah. is one once again uh and facebook really screwed the pooch on this one um People didn't know what they were signing up for. And if you actually go to your uh, privacy settings, like account privacy settings, yeah, a little drop. I've down. gone to it now, and Facebook, I read about this, they actually changed it. Yeah, they made it a little simpler, a little simpler. It's a lot more obvious what's being shared with what. Uh, I do have some gripes. Uh, Facebook has the ability to let you set up lists, mm -hmm. access lists, for mm -hmm. who can or cannot see certain things. It's a little difficult to set those lists up. Okay. It can. It's. I, I'd much prefer there to be a literal access list function. So let's say um, I don't want certain people to see my wall posts. Um, I can't just say I can either list those certain people out. But what if there's a group of people that there's only certain things I want them to see? Let's say close family members. I don't want them to see uh, photos or my wall posts. I just want them to know that I'm still around. Mm -hmm. um, that's difficult to do. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, there's a lot of stuff that's defaulted. Um, for instance, well, either defaulted or we don't understand the scope. Like, uh, what is networks? Friends and networks. What does networks mean? Networks is everyone in your network. People you don't know, people you do, professors, administrators, uh, people you don't like, people who you don't want to find you, yeah. employers. That's what networks mean. So let's say uh, for your, you share your photos on Facebook with friends of friends or friends and networks. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who do not know you who can find you now. Yeah, yeah. And that can end extremely badly for you if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to market yourself and later on as, you know, a really good, hard worker, and on your Facebook there's that one picture of you puking up at a party, <laughs> they can find that. Yeah, and if absolutely. you're not careful, that'll come to bite you in the 
that that'll come to come back around to smack you in the back of the head. Yeah, and you don't want that. Yeah. Um, kind of along those lines, it also kind of begs the question of we talked about this again last week whether we should even put that sort of information on the internet. Should people self censor before they even put stuff up? I think they should. Uh, I I think people seriously underestimate what the internet means. A uh, fail blog. I don't know if anyone has ever or not fail a lame book. It's a Facebook aggregator of uh, lame say, Facebook statuses and people screwing up over Facebook. It's funny. It's really funny until you realize these are people. Yeah. Strangers yeah. who you don't even know. I mean, their their profile pictures have been mosaicked out and everything like that. But, the, you know, some one of their friends thought it was funny and posted them on the Internet. Yeah. And then when you think about it, it's like, what if that mosaic wasn't there? You start looking through image boards. You're You're going to start seeing... You know, areas where maybe somebody didn't edit something out, a name wasn't put out properly, mm-hmm. personal information might have been released, um, and and you start going, you start thinking about these kind of things. Social networking can be dangerous, and we talked about this the last time I rolled through. Um, it can be extremely dangerous because people don't realize how how uh, information spreads, because mm-hmm. one little post on Facebook, you know, how often have you seen something on your Facebook where like eight people like it who you don't know, but one of your friends like it, and now you're linked to some somebody else's blog, and then maybe you like it, so you share it. Now that one guy maybe never intended for anyone else to see that post. Yeah. But now there's a whole, you know, uh, six degrees of separation, there's a whole bunch of people who know about him now. Yeah. Even yeah. if you didn't want to know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, it also kind of to get back to like the actual policies, it may I, I kind of thought, well, what if you had functions where if you clicked a link, it would have a pop-up box, and you could say, well, are you sure you want to do this? This means this, this, this. Instead of doing a privacy policy, it's based on their functions as they go through the internet. Do you think that would be a better solution than just the kind of blanket legalese printout that you have to agree to when you register? I would like for especially the advertisements where if you click on them, there should be something like you are now leaving Facebook for a third-party site. Mm-hmm. Facebook cannot be held responsible for how this third party uses your information. I think if people saw that, they'd be less inclined to say, okay, take me to this site I really don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. They have to be pretty sure. And you see this every once in a while. It's also abused. Yeah, We've all gone to that one site where it's like, are you sure you want to navigate away from this page? Press OK to not navigate. Press Cancel to stay here. And it's like, both of these leave me here. What's going on? There's always sites that abuse the pop-up rule, unfortunately. But I'd like to see some... That, that's an excellent idea, actually, to have it so that, you know, when you click on the... Obviously, Facebook doesn't want to alienate their advertisers, but they really don't want to alienate their user base. And the last thing you want is a user base where the there's damage done Yeah, yeah. to Facebook's... Uh, the, public their, image exactly their and that does more damage than the advertisers saying oh you know these these uh, pop-ups are reducing our revenue well your your websites are reducing our user base yeah um it, it's i i don't know how a business would honestly like be able to reconcile that in a good way but yeah it would make more sense if the privacy policy was more upfront mm-hmm. or if I, I i don't know but it makes perfect sense to me that the user should at least every once in a while be reminded that, hey, we aren't responsible for the stupid crap you click on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then kind of to get back to um, uh, demographics and um, data mining, 
Uh, I just have a couple figures here that um, people, uh, 70% of people release both their interest and demographic data, which would be extremely valuable to any marketer. Um, and uh, 38% do not even use privacy features at all. They just use the default, which means Everyone. your profile is open to anyone. And then um, another thing that we were talking about was with respect to the photos. And the, the paper, the MIT paper, actually kind of talked about this a little bit too, where um, I'm sure this has changed now, but Facebook didn't really have security settings on any of the photos. Mm -mm. So someone could programmatically go through Facebook and retrieve people's photos even if they didn't want them to be seen, mm -hmm. even if they didn't know the people. Because you could just type in in the URL the ID of the photo or the, the user ID, however it works, and get those people's photos. So that's another... Uh, very interesting thing with Facebook and, and security. I'm sure that's changed, though. It's, yeah, it's I'm, got to. I'm pretty sure that's changed. Thank God for that. Yeah. But um, it, it definitely, um, these sorts of things, definitely, if you don't use private, privacy settings, um, they definitely can be used programmatically to retrieve your page and um, look at what your, your interests are, even if it's, you know, a hacker could do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be legitimately through Facebook. A hacker could programmatically go through your your profile page, and if you allow everyone to see it, um, they could do that and then start selling your, your user data. Um, of course, that's against Facebook's terms of service, but they don't yes. care. They're a hacker. They're, they don't really care. <laughs> um, so some interesting thing to, things to talk about. And then I want to finish with you, Kumar on a more humorous note, <laughs> and that's with a uh, Fox News story about people who sold their souls to a British video game company. Yes, that was by far one of my favorite stories of that particular year. Um, let me see if I can pull up the, well, not just the article, but, uh, wait, that's not the right one. I, I don't think they're the only ones who've pulled this particular prank. I hope not. It's far too entertaining for only one person to have done. Uh, but yeah, so... British firm GameStation to that EULA, remember that this infamous uh, user agreement, added that. And I quote, By placing an order via this website on the first day of the fourth month, April 1st, of the year 2010, Anno Domini, you agree to grant us non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. <laughs> um... So, yeah, and then, you know, they go on. We reserve the right to serve such notice in six-foot-high letters of fire. We have no liability for any damage caused by the... Okay, so, if you bought from this website by the EULA, legally speaking, your soul now belongs to them. Yeah. Um, now, later the company said, we... Um, I forget exactly what they said, but we will choose not to um, exercise our right or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know... Things like that can happen, and these are legally binding agreements. Yeah, it, I, I strangely enough, if they had said something else along the lines of, uh, we reserve the right to sell your, you know, your uh, anonymized uh, purchases to uh, third-party dealers for ad direction, they can do that, a yeah. as long as they don't give away enough that it could conceivably be used against them in court. Mm -hmm. You know, if that EULA says we will, and this happens for people who download stuff online and they don't read the EULA, some EULAs explicitly state this program will collect statistics about your usage and send them to our server for advertising. Yeah. 
And people don't realize that their programs are doing this. They're actively looking at, you know, what are you searching for on using this program? We'd like to know so we can use it for advertising, data mining, um, and all this other stuff. Those EULAs are nasty. So it starts out funny, yeah, we're going to own your soul, ha, ha, ha. And then you think it's a great laugh, and then you read the next EULA, and then you realize that they're, they're serious. They, yeah. they, for, they want to own your electronic soul and sell it to the highest bidder. Yeah. Well, that's a, a happy tone to end on, I think. <laughs> the moral of the story, the moral of the story, children, um, <laughs> to f- watch out what people can see about you on yeah. Facebook, please. Those privacy policy, they've made it so simple now. They've even, let me, let me briefly pull up the recommended setting here that you don't even have to do the work. They set it up so that, you know, only friends can see certain things. Friends of friends can see certain things. Everyone can see other stuff. Come on, there's no excuse. Protect your data, protect your personal information, protect yourself, and you won't look stupid in a couple of years. Yes, very good advice. <laughs> um, and what I wanted to say, but I completely blanked, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, so that concludes our discussion of Facebook privacy. I hope that you stay safe and read those privacy policies. I'm going to start doing it. Yeah, uh, like it, sort uh, of. It's not fun, but yeah, I, uh, I'll start doing it. Um, You're listening to KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're going to have a little bit more music, and then we're going to have the blues disease next. Enjoy your summer, guys. All right, and that concludes our show for today. I just wanted to wish you guys uh, the best on finals. Um, I know this is finals week, and uh, some people might be in the middle of a final right now, or actually just ending, and then some might just be starting. But I wish you the best of luck, and uh, I'll see you next week.